Our primary text for this course is John 10.10. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The goal, the purpose of the life of Christ was to bring life. Life to you, life to me. He is our life. So Zoe is the Greek word for life. But in Greek, there are four different words that can be translated life that we see through the New Testament. And we're going to be looking at those different kinds of translations tonight. Zoe, and you're going to want to remember this, is the God kind of life. So if we look up John 3.16, that Zoe, the God kind of life, is the life that's referred to there. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. So we just use one word for life. It's, we also have one word for love. In Greek, and I like this about the Greeks, they had several different words for love. They had a brotherly type of love. They had different kinds of uh, translations for love, whereas we use one word. I love you, I love you, it's one word. I love you. Uh, we, we, that's a love for husband and wife. That's a love for a friendship love. That's a brotherly love. But they had several different words that they would use. And it just kind of defines it in, in a better package. So we're going to look at Zoe, the Greek word for the God kind of life. And let's see, we're looking for John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. That life there is the God kind of life. Jesus Christ came to bring to us, to mankind, to restore in his redemptive work the God kind of life. But he came to bring and to restore that life, the the very life that was the nature of God, that God breathed into man when he made the spirit of man. That same essence of God, that God kind of life, that God nature Christ came to bring back that man could be restored in right fellowship with God the way God had originally created that relationship to be. It's the God kind of life. Now we also see this word Zoe in Romans 6.23 where it talks about the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That eternal life is the God kind of life. This eternal life he came to give us is the, and I'm going to say it again, get this, it's the nature of God. For as the Father hath life, same word, Zoe, in himself, so hath he given the Son to have life, Zoe, the nature of God in himself. So God had the life, the nature of God in Jesus, and that nature of God, when you were born again, was imparted to you. You've got the very nature of God living on the inside of you. Well, that's exciting. That's powerful. We need to focus on that. We need to meditate on that. We really need to emphasize that a lot. You've got the the God-breathed essence of the nature of God in your spirit. That's what your spirit is made up of. Your spirit, your born-again spirit, is made up of the nature of God, the very nature of God. Now, we're going to look at what does this life do for us? See, God didn't just save us from sin. He recreated us. 
he put his nature in us. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 1.4. Light stands for development. Remember that. In him was life and the life, therefore we can say it this way, in him was life and the life was the development of men. Now, in the Greek, we see these four different words used, and I'm just going to go ahead and give you the, the English definition. For Zoe, we see the God kind of life, but we also will see other words translated life in the New Testament with a different meaning, though. We see the natural human life. That's a good question. That's why I haven't pronounced it yet. That's with a U and not with a Y? P-S-U-C-H-E. Who wants to give that a shot? Okay, well, it's Greek to me. <laughs> okay, so, but I want, I want you to remember this, okay? The primary goal is just that you remember that there's different kinds, and so it's important because I want you to know what's in you. What's in you is the nature of God, the God kind of life. All right, so we've got the natural human life. We also have bios, the manner of life, and anastrophe, I'm guessing at that, which is confused behavior. Okay, see, so now all of these are translated life when we read them. But you can see that there's very, there's quite a bit of difference. Now, Christians have majored on the manner of life. In general, Christians have majored on the manner of life or the behavior rather than eternal life. That's important because it means Christians have majored on the external or the actions rather than the internal. You're not going to change really the external actions until you understand about the internal. When you understand and you grow and develop the internal, the external, the actions will change in accordance. But it's important for us as believers to realize that the nature of God's been put on the inside of us, the life of God, and that we should really major or emphasize that and develop that part of our being instead of trying to then just deal with the external. Do you understand that? How do we do that? Well, we focus on the fact that God is in us. That we've got the power of Christ on the inside of us. We've got the nature of God on the inside of us. You know, I'll give you an example. There was a man that was uh, uh, put in prison in the Huntsville Penitentiary in Texas because he had shot and killed a policeman while he was on drugs. So they were thinking he was going to be in there for long term. But parole came up, and when went before the parole board, he said, uh, that man is gone. That man that killed the policeman is gone. He's dead, and I am a new man. And he said, it's now Christ that lives in me. I don't want to kill anyone. I will not kill anyone. That man is gone. And they ended up letting him out. And he went to Bible school, and he's been preaching the gospel. So can God make changes? God can make changes. <laughs> the life of God set him free. The life of God set him free from the condemnation, from the guilt, from the sin, from the association, the life of Christ set him free. Now, even Kenneth Hagin tells this story that when he was a child and he was walking to school when he first became born again, he got a hold of some of the scriptures and he got a hold of the fact that the life of God was in him, that he had been recreated 
that the nature of God was in him. And so every day while walking to school, while a young child, he went from having very poor grades to straight A's. And this is how he did it. He would confess on his way to school. And he would say, I've got the life of God in me, the nature of God is in me, and the wisdom of God is in me. And I'm going to repeat that. He went from poor grades to straight A's by confessing as he walked to school. What he was doing is he was drawing on the truth. He was emphasizing the truth, but he was drawing on that deposit on the inside, the real him, the real man on the inside, which was the nature of God, the spirit of God. And he said, I've got the life of God in me. The nature of God is in me. The wisdom of God is in me. Now, he also quoted Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 to 20, where it talks about the, the youth that were put aside. And uh, Daniel said he wanted a special uh, diet. Daniel said, watch and see that, that I will be you know, wise in all learning. Daniel made some confessions to what would happen to Daniel. So he also uh, would confess that. We see a major change, a major change in his productivity, really. In the external productivity, not because he necessarily immediately made a lot of changes in that, but because he was focusing on the change that had happened internally and then building that up from the inside, then we see the outside fruit of it. Okay, just as Jesus said to the Pharisee when he talked about the cup, they were so interested in the cup on the outside that he was talking about the inside. He wanted the inside clean. Why? Because we've got to focus on, on the internal. God deals with the heart. The heart is important to God. So we've got to learn how to walk in the light of the eternal life that Jesus brought to us to enjoy the fullness and the reality of it. Now, just because we have something in the spiritual realm does not mean it will automatically work for us. I'm going to say that again. Just because we have something in the spiritual realm, a truth, a promise, whatever it may be, it does not mean it will automatically work. Why? Because there is a God part and there is a man part. God has his part in the promises, but we have our part by believing, being in agreement with his promises so that his promises can come to pass. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. There are lots of promises in the Bible. You can see them, prosperity, healing, lots of good things, but they're not necessarily active in every Christian's life. Why? Because they're not necessarily appropriating the promises. So we've got to appropriate the promises because there's a God part and a man part. Second Peter 1.4 says this, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. We are partakers of the divine nature. Now, the key is to meditate on these verses until, until they become true in you and true for you. See, they're already true, but you want to receive the manifestation of them in your life. You want them to be true to you, not just on the pages in the Bible not just for the person sitting next to you. You want the word of God to be true for you. The way you get it to be true for you is by meditating on it so that you get it from being Bible or head knowledge. You get it to become spirit life to you. God is a spirit. We are spirit beings. We communicate through our spirit. Faith is of the 
heart, which is spirit. So faith is not of your head. So it doesn't matter how much scripture you've got in your head. You've got to draw that up out of your spirit. So it means you've got to put it in your spirit to be able to draw it up out of your spirit. Because faith is of the spirit. Faith is of the heart. Now, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Talking about the Spirit of God. This is what Jesus Christ brought for us. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Jesus Christ came to bring us the Spirit of God, to bring us the life of God, to restore that life to us, that God kind of life, the God nature in our very being. That's what Jesus restored to us. Now, in the Old Testament, the presence of God, the Shekinah, was only in the Holy of Holies. The presence of God was only in the Holy of Holies. And at least once a year, every male in Israel had to present himself at the temple. They had to go where God was. But we, thank God, have a better covenant. And we certainly do. We have a better covenant. When Jesus said, it is finished, when he was hung on the cross, that old covenant changed. And we became partakers of the new covenant. And that curtain in the holiest of holies was ripped. And it was ripped from the top to the bottom. And there's a Jewish historian. I'll go ahead and pronounce his name. Flavius. Josephus, good job. He said that the curtain was 20 feet high, 40 feet across, and get this, four inches thick. So it wasn't as though it just got old, okay? And the wind happened to blow, and a wind did that. I mean, the, the Spirit of God did that. God was letting everybody know the old has passed away, the new has come, we've got a better covenant now. Now, we don't have to go where God is because God has, because of Jesus Christ, has come to us, and he dwells in us, and we now are the temple of God. Your body is the temple of God, which is why it's important to keep your body holy. You are the temple of God. Isn't that precious? That God loves us so much, wanted to be with us so much, no separation from us, that he could be with us always, at all times, poured himself out. It's just so precious. It's so wonderful that he loves us that much. That he wants to be with us at all times. At all times. Never separated. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for what Jesus did for us. Thank God for the life of Christ. Listen, sometimes in the holiest of holies, sometimes when those priests would go in there, if they didn't perform that sacrifice properly, do you know that they'd tie a rope around their foot? Because if they didn't do it right, they'd die in the presence of God, and that way they'd be able to drag them out. Now think about that when temptation stands before you. And think about the fact that you've got the Spirit of God on the inside of you. Look at what happened in the Old Testament if they didn't approach God properly. Okay, so Jesus made the life of God available to us. Jesus met the devil in his own throne room, stripped him of his authority and dominion, and rose from the dead. In Revelations 1.18, Jesus said, I am he that liveth, and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell and death. Jesus Christ got the keys of hell and death. 
He got them from Satan, took the dominion and the authority that had been given to Satan in the Garden of Eden by Adam. And in Ephesians 2, 5, and 6, we were made alive with Christ. We were raised up together with Christ and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. In him we rule and reign. In him we have our life. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. No matter what you face, you've got the greater one on the inside of you. Now, we've talked about the fact that there's a God part and there's a man part. And I want to give you this illustration. Brother Hagen talks about one time having a vision of Jesus, and Jesus was trying to tell him something and something important. And as he's trying to tell him that, Brother Hagen actually saw, Kenneth Hagen saw a little impy creature of a demon type thing get in between him and Jesus in this vision and just doing a lot of garbly talk but talking so much that then the voice of Jesus was being drowned out. And he was sitting there thinking, you know, why doesn't Jesus do something? I can't hear him. This is, this is Jesus talking to me. This is so very important. I need to get this. And Jesus doesn't do anything. Jesus just keeps right on talking. Finally, just out of frustration, Kenneth Hagin commands that demon to get out. And that demon runs. And Jesus says, Brother Hagin says, why didn't you do something about that? And Jesus says, if you... If you hadn't, I, I couldn't have. And he thinks, well, I must not be hearing you correctly because you wouldn't say that you couldn't because you're Jesus. You wouldn't say that you couldn't have done anything about that. I must have misheard you. You mean you, you just wouldn't have. And he says, no, I couldn't have. Now listen, this is important. This may tip your theology a little bit, but when you think about this, he said, I couldn't have. He said, I delegated that authority to mankind before I went up. I told you that you had authority over demons, that you could cast demons out. Now, it's very important to think about that because that means there are times where Christians are sitting there waiting on God to do something, not, just not understanding their rights, their privileges, and their authority that's already been granted to them. So they're waiting on God, but God is waiting on them. He says, to, if you hadn't done something, I couldn't have. That authority has been delegated. It's been delegated. And so where do we, and so we know that in Romans 5:17 it says you shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that Jesus will come here and reign for you. See, now even even the disciples kept waiting when Jesus was on the earth thinking you're going to bring the kingdom. We're going to take over Rome. You're going to rule and you're going to reign. But see, God had a different plan in mind. Yes, Jesus was going to rule and reign, but in a different manner than the manner they expected. See, so we need to really look at how does he do it in scripture, not how do we think it should be done or how does man's tradition teach us that it should be done? What does the word of God say? What does the word of God say? So they were waiting for him to take over and rule and reign in a way that he was never intending to take over at that time. It's spiritually, it's spiritually that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it says, you shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. That is delegated authority that has been given to the believers on this earth. It says, all authority or power is given to me in heaven and earth. That's Jesus speaking in Matthew 28, 18. And then 
we see from that delegated authority, he commissions us, go ye, and these signs will accompany you. You will cast out devils. You will speak with new tongues. It implies that no hurt will come to us. We'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Delegated authority. What if you were running a business and you knew you were going to go away, so then you put your best people in charge of that business and delegated authority to them, what would you expect to be happening while you were gone? You would expect that they would be using the authority that you had delegated to them, that they would be running it, if you will, power of attorney. You know, when you, when you aren't going to be in, in the United States to handle a business deal and you need a business deal to happen while you're overseas, you can give someone power of attorney. It means you are legally giving them the right to represent you, to do business for you in your name. It's as though Jesus Christ gave you power of attorney when he gave you his name. And he really did give you his name because everything you do is in his name. Do you realize that he gave you what's, what's equivalent to power of attorney? You're now representing him on this earth. You're now his hands, his feet, his eyes, his mouthpiece to say what he would want you to say, to do what he would want you to do. He's not here doing it. You are. And so he needs you. And you may look at some people and think, wow, they're the greatest teacher. You may look at Reinhard Bonnke and say, wow, he's just getting, well, I was going to say thousands, but now millions and millions of people saved. Wow. Well, God, even if I am an evangelist, you know, look at what he's doing. Well, that's great, but he's only in one country, in one place at one time. And it's great that he's getting a lot of people saved, but he's still not enough. God still needs you to tell people about Jesus. And there may be some really fabulous teachers, but don't disqualify yourself just because some people are great teachers or some people's a great evangelist. God still needs you. There's a lot of people on this earth. There's a lot of people to reach. And so God wants you. God needs you. Isn't that incredible that God actually needs you? He needs you. He needs you to do what he's called you to do. He needs you to do it. Yes, there are times where he can replace and he can put somebody else in that place. And we've heard stories of that where God's asked somebody to do something. And asked two people before he got to this one person and asked this person to do a job. But there are some people that you're supposed to touch. There may not be other people lined up if you don't do what you're supposed to do, if you don't share the gospel with them. There are people that you will minister to, that you will reach, that no one else will be able to reach the same way you can. They don't have the same relationship. They don't have the same personality that you have. And God will use your personality and your relationships for you to minister to people. God needs you. He needs you. He loves you, but he also loves the lost. He loves you and he wants to teach you, but he also wants you to be teaching others. He also wants you to be imparting what you've learned to others. You're necessary to God. Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We don't want to be destroyed for lack of knowledge. And sometimes just not knowing is enough to keep somebody in the dark. We don't want to be in the dark. We want to be in the light. That's why the Bible talks so much about light and truth. If God's people possess knowledge, they will not be destroyed. And some of the primary knowledge is this, to know who they are, to know their rights in God, their privileges, their dominion, and their authority. They've got to know who they are in Christ. They've got to know their rights. 
and their privileges, they've got to exercise dominion and authority. We will not be destroyed for a lack of knowledge, for God has opened our eyes to our rights and our privileges, to who we are in Christ. He's opened our eyes to our authority, to our dominion, and it is our job to be exercising that. We've been given two big gifts we see in Romans 5.17. We've received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, and these gifts enable us to reign in life an abundance of grace, and the gift of righteousness. And righteousness can be defined this way, right standing with God. Now, we're talking about the life of Christ. I want to talk about who Jesus is, and I want you just to go ahead and meditate on these verses, Matthew chapter 13, and and after we talk about this, then we'll close. Jesus Christ is called the Word. We see that in Revelations. We see it in John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word became flesh. So we know that Jesus Christ is the Word. He's called the Word. We're talking about the life of Christ. Because of this verse, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I want us to look at something which you know and understand now, but even when you finish Bible school, I want you to remember these passages. It's Matthew chapter 13. You can go ahead and turn there if you'd like. And I'm going to let you read most of this on your own. I'm going to just barely touch on it, and then we'll close. Matthew chapter 13. It's the parable of the soils. And it talks about the sower goes out to sow the word. Well, now what if Jesus is the word? Jesus and the word, they're one. The sower sows the word in chapter uh, 13. And yet we see what happens. It falls upon different kinds of soil. And the soil represents the hearts of men. And I want us to look at what chokes the word out. Two areas that choke the word out, it's the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. They're distractions that I want you to guard against when you're finished with Bible school. I'm going to say it again. It's the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And then it also tells us what's necessary for the word to bear fruit. Good soil, hears the word, and understands the word. And then we touched on this a little bit. I'm just going to review this and we'll... Nine names. Of Jesus. We see him called by many different names. Uh, here are a few of them the Son of God, Messiah, Emmanuel, Lord, Savior, the Word, Lamb of God, Son of Man, and Son of David. Uh, we will end here.